This is part three of the three-part series entitled Anaclasia, a Greek term that is translated as in church uh, in 1 Corinthians. And we'll get to some of those um, points in the text where it's translated that way in a little bit. The focus of this week's talk is the teaching of the word. Previously, we've considered that the church, a local church of God, is to come together with three core functions that give expression uh, to its existence as a church of God, doing the things that God has instructed the followers of Jesus to do. The first of those was to remember him and then to engage in his worship. The second was the prayers, a people who are reliant upon God for everything in their lives and in their service together as a church. Then we're thinking this week about the importance, the absolute centrality of the word of God and everything that shapes and governs the activities of a church and the lives of the people that comprise it. I'd like us to turn first to Hebrews chapter 4. There are some scattered verses that we're going to consider today as we think about the importance of the people of God in a local church of God coming together for one of its core function activities which is to submit to the word of God. We're going to look at a number of scriptures that relate to that but I thought we'd start in Hebrews chapter 4 for this reason because Steve I think helpfully last week mentioned that Hebrews very often gives us the spiritual counterpart to the practicalities that we see elsewhere in the New Testament. That It shows us that what we're engaged in is something very precious that engages and experiences the very presence of God in the local church gathering. So I wanted us to go to Hebrews first. And let's read Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 10 onwards. The writer of Hebrews is appealing to New Testament Jewish Christians to not fall back into the old ways of Judaism, but to embrace the fullness of the realities of God's purposes for his covenant people today. And a major part of that is to experience and express the presence of God as they are together in their service. In verse 10, the writer appeals Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And he's referring back to the people of Israel, the people who failed to enter the promised land because they disobeyed the word of the Lord. So the appeal here is, don't be like those people. Obey the word of the Lord. Then look at verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And then it goes into the section that Steve uh, considered last week. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended and so on, let us approach the throne of grace. You see the flow of the passage here, just very quickly as an introduction. The flow of the passage here is an appeal from the writer to these Jewish 
New Testament believers, don't be disobedient to the word of God. Make every effort to take on the word of God and to put it into practice and to experience the joy of God in that and his rest. And it's the rest of service you've brought into a place that God wants you to be where you can enjoy him in your service. And it's all centered around the word of God for the word of God is living and active. I actually think verse 12, the writer is being very specific in a reference back to Psalm 95. For the word of God is living and active. He's just been quoting from Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is, is a warning psalm that has been quoted earlier. But it says this in it too. Come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is God and we are the people of his pasture. The flock under his care. That's Psalm 95 verses 6 and 7. That's central to that psalm. The desire of God to have a people who worship him. And who kneel before him, who experience the joy of being the people of his pasture. And the warning comes afterwards that the writer of Hebrews picks up here. And here the writer of Hebrews in verse 12 of chapter 4 says, the word, that, that word is alive and active. The word of God in its entirety is that. But specifically, this text, whereas the invitation to worship and to engage in the, the joyful service and blessings that come with being God's people, that's what's important. And don't miss it, the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's looking for a response from God's people. And because we're sinful people, and we find it hard to submit ourselves to the word of God, it then continues in the flow of the thought, because we have a great high priest. Let us come before the throne of grace. So we see how prayer as a church is linked with the teaching of the word of God. Because as the word of God comes to us as a church together, it forces us then to be praying to God, does it not? That we might be helped to do what God says to us in his word. Now this all links back to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. Where there's a vital text where the writer to the Hebrew Christians says... That we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. He's saying that New Testament believers form the house of God. And we've already considered that in the previous weeks. And I'm just going to explore that a little bit now. Just to help us to see that when the people of God are gathered together for the core functions that we see described in the New Testament. There is an experience then of the presence of God. Not just for those that are gathered who are believers in the Lord Jesus and obedient disciples, but also for others who might be present to observe it. And we get that from the New Testament. We'll see that in a moment. I just wanted to stress here, for the writer of Hebrews, he sees there is a continuity from the house of God in the Old Testament to the house of God in the New Testament, the New Covenant days. But in a sense, and very much so, the New takes on a whole different development in God's purposes and embracing of all peoples as it becomes something glorious for God. You are God's house if you hold fast to these things. What are those things? The things that are given to us in God's word. It's not just holding on to them intellectually in our minds, but it's actually putting them into practice. That then marks out God's house today. I'm re recapping something that 
we all probably know very well, but for any who might be listening even to the recording of this who don't, let me just lay this out about the house of God, the continuity between Old Testament times and today. In the Old Testament, the house of God was the name that was given to the tabernacle that the people of Israel were to construct in the middle of their camp when they were on the transition between Egypt and the land of promise. It then later was the name for the, t- the temple that was built by Solomon in Jerusalem where God had marked this is the place for it. And then there was this permanent structure where God would come and dwell among his people. That's the language. He would be present there in the most holy place of the tabernacle first and then the temple. God's presence in some way, wonderfully present among his people. The house of God that's mentioned here and that we read of in 1 Peter chapter 4 and we read of in Ephesians chapter 2, it's similar, but it's a spiritual house. It's no longer that physical structure that was in one geographical location. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 says that the house of God today is a spiritual house comprised of living stones, individual ones who submit themselves to the teaching of God's word and they're built up together form a spiritual house with a purpose to worship God. You come to Ephesians chapter 2 and it says that those living stones that are built up together in a local setting like us here in Manchester are then joined with others of the same character and the same composition in other places. Identifiable local churches of God which together in aggregate, it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 to 22, form the house of God. 1 Timothy 3 verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, who was a a pastor of one of the churches, he says, I'm writing to you so that you will know how one ought to act in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. He was saying, look, you need to hear this so that people know how to behave. In the local church, which is not standalone, but is linked with other churches and together they form the house of God. We don't have time to dive into this in detail, but but that's what scripture gives to us. Where is God in all of this? On the basis of what God reveals of himself to us in scripture, God is everywhere present at all times. We can't get our minds around that. We accept that by faith. The Lord Jesus, when he was here, said to his disciples, he says, I'm going to send another helper and he will be with you and he will be in you. That's the promise of God the Spirit coming and indwelling the life of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. A work of God to bring them to faith and the Spirit resides in us as individuals, in our bodies. can't get our minds around it but we take it and accept it by faith the same time then so God being everywhere present at all times but also dwelling in individual believers then on the language of the New Testament and on the basis of what we've seen in the Old Testament he's dwelling in his house which is a place on earth among his people again it's amazing something we have to accept by faith but there's more And this is what I want us to to look at. The teaching 
the churches of God is that the presence of God is experienced by faith by disciples in local churches of God when they come together in church and ecclesia. It's a presence of God that is actually evidenced by their gathering and can be attested to by outsiders. Turn with me please to 1 Corinthians 3.16 to see how this is understood. So we have God everywhere present at all times but yet he individually or he dwells individually in each believer but he also says his presence is in his house which is comprised of churches of God together forming the house of God so in some way his presence is there with them but then there is something of the presence of God to be experienced in that local congregation of a church of God when it is together. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The NIV gets it really right here. The presence of God is in your midst And the context of 1 Corinthians and what Paul started particularly from chapter 3 onwards is addressing the issues that the church of God was having in Corinth about the gatherings of the church. So really from 3 onwards he's starting to address that and he has in view the gatherings of the church together. And he says to them here, after he's spoken about the importance of people being engaged in the building up of a local church, make sure that your work isn't something that will be burned up, but expend your energies for the the building up of the local church of God. He then says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you or in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, verse 17, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. He's addressing the church of God in Corinth. But on the basis of what we understand of Ephesians chapter 2, the temple is all of the churches of God together. But here he has uh, addressed the church of God as if they are the temple. And that's what the English would lead us to believe. But there is no definite article in there. It actually says you are temple of God. It's a thing of character. So a local church in its character expresses what it is as part of being the aggregate of all churches which together form the temple or the house of God. So a local church in its character is temple of God. And he goes on to say, and God's spirit dwells in your midst. The particular context from here on through is addressing when the church is together. There is a time when God is, in a sense, able to be can't say tangibly because we're dealing with spiritual matters here and Steve again last week I think really helped us to see there's no difference between it's not a it's not a battle between physical and spiritual but the two things coexist all the time there is a presence of God among his people in a local church of God when they are together engaged in the things of God we can understand it but we accept it by faith just like the others that we've listed You come to 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. 
And Paul starts to really focus in on the gatherings of the church, particularly. And that's then when we get um, the phrase anaclasia in the Greek that's used. So let's turn there. Thank you for following this through with me. Concerned this was a little technical, but it's so important for us to see it. 1 Corinthians 11. Bearing in mind what has been said in 1 Corinthians 3, that the church of God locally is in character representative of the greater whole of the temple, and that God is in your midst. That's when the church is together. And the focus of 11 through 14 of 1 Corinthians is when they're gathered together. Let me show you that because I don't think we've, we've spelled this one out. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 verse 18. It says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are some divisions among you and to some extent I believe it. The English there that I have in the NIV that's translated together as a church is the Greek phrase anaclasia, in church. When you come together in church. Given that back up to verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul had been speaking about head coverings when the church is together. We see that he's, he's flowing that thought and he's, he's got in mind this whole thing of when you're together in Ecclesia, as a church, head coverings is important. It's there. Then we go to chapter 14. Follow with me. Making this logical. 1 Corinthians 14 28. When Paul is addressing the matter of there, there being some order in the, the worship gatherings of the church, he says in verse 28, he says, If there is no interpreter for someone who might speak in a foreign language, the speaker should keep quiet in church and speak to himself and to God. It's the same thing again in church. You together engage in activity in church. There's an ecclesia. And the final one is verse 35. In the matter of women remaining silent in the churches, verse 35. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church or in church, an ecclesia. The reason for highlighting these is... Paul moves on in chapter 15 to the, the glories of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus. But between 11 and 14 of 1 Corinthians, he's really got the gatherings of the local church of God in Corinth in view. And it's almost as if he's using the literary uh, thing of bookends and inclusio as it's known. And he says at the beginning in chapter 11, when you're together in church and at the end of 14, when you've been together in church, it's almost as if what comes in the middle and the descriptions there. This is what's happening when you're together in church. That's why 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 are important for us in terms of practical things to consider what's engaged in when we're a church. There's the mention in these chapters as well of, of prophecy. I'm coming to a point here with all this. Prophecy is mentioned that when people prophesy in the church, we often just limit the word prophecy to speaking of things that are yet in the future, but that's not the sense of the word prophecy at all. It's, it's speaking the things of God, either for the present or for things that might yet come in the future. Those things that God has mentioned about in the future, we've been given 
all we need to know in the scriptures. So there's no more uh, telling of the future for today's people. So the prophecy that's being referred to here is speaking the things of God in the church. It's the teaching about God. It would be the teaching of the word. And it's in that context of 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, we have mention of the remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have mention of the people being engaged in prayer, the contributions of people in the gathering, engaged in prophecy and teaching. And there were other things as well at that time that were important, like the speaking of languages, which were attesting to the work of God before we had the completed scriptures. But prophecy was an important um, element of the gatherings of the church and ecclesia that were given in these chapters. I want you to look at verse 25, please, of 1 Corinthians 14. Actually, we'll go to 24. I just want you to see this. Please, in your mind, holding on to 1 Corinthians 3.16, which says, God is in your midst. And I've, I've been saying that's when the church is gathered. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 24. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, teaching the word of God, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. There's the point. Alongside 1 Corinthians 3.16, where Paul says, Look, local church, in character, you are temple of God. And when you're together, God is in your midst. Here, at, towards the end of chapter 14, Paul is saying, not only should you know that, but it should be something that the Spirit of God will use to people who are here to observe your gatherings as a church. When you're engaged in the remembrance, when you're engaged in the prayers, when you're engaged in the teaching of the Word, the speaking of the very basis of all of life and service, when that happens, the Spirit of God can do His work and can cause somebody who observes what is happening in the local church setting at that time to fall down and say, God is really among you. That's amazing, isn't it? And it's in the context of the speaking of the word of God. Of course it is. How does someone come to faith? We're born again according to the living and abiding word of God. So the teaching or preaching of the word of God is a core function of a church when it gathers in Ecclesia. And we've been stressing over the last three weeks that there really isn't any competition between the remembrance and the prayers and the teaching of the word in terms of first or second division uh, or whatever, they're all as important in the expression of the people of God giving the glory to God as to what he has done for them. And we are experiencing and appropriating, if I can use that word, the presence of God in those times. And I wonder whether we consider that when we're here for the teaching of the word. We can't go with feelings on this. We have to go on the facts of the scriptures. And by faith accept it. That what we've done this morning in the remembrance. Was our entrance into the most holy place. In spirit to worship God. We've considered how in the prayers. We approach the throne of grace. It's a spiritual activity. That engages a people who are physically gathered on earth. And when we are together. 
with a man coming who has been prepared by God to speak his word on his behalf, to prophesy, then we're engaged in divine service where the presence of God is among his people and it's something that even an observer outside could be caused to fall down and say, God is truly among you. It's the same for all three. And that's why we've pulled this little series together um, to stress the importance of it. Now this is all related to why we've how we've been using Zoom. I just have to say this very quickly, and it has been stated before. Uh, we, we have not, as overseers at the conference this year, been convinced in anything that we can see in Scripture that, that a Zoom or a virtual gathering, even its very terminology, virtual, says it's not the full thing. But it's what we see here, it's the gathering of the people together to engage in this. That is the, at the place that is identified as the testimony of the Church of God in Manchester, when we together as the people are together, then there is this experience of the presence of God in the congregation at that time. And it's associated with the place that is identifiable. And that goes out the window, really, when it's an online gathering. Because it's not the fullness of our togetherness in these three core functions, and more besides, of course, that we can engage in, but we're focused on what we're given here in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 that we see as divine service. It's all worship. Let me put it this way. The remembrance, we come and we give to God in his presence and we worship him for that. When we come in the prayers, we approach the throne of grace. It's worship too because we're, we're absolutely reliant on the God who made us. And to acknowledge that and to appeal to him is worship. And when we come to hear the teaching of the word, we together are subjecting ourselves to what God has said. And that is an act of worship. Come let us bow down and kneel before the Lord our maker. Psalm 95. That's what's happening when we're together. As a local church engaged in all of these. I just want to finish with this. That the local church is to be characterised by focus on the word of God. We can't exist without it. The Lord God spoke audibly to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. But then it was written down on ten tablets, not ten tablets, on two tablets, the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And then Moses was spoken to by God and the book of the law was pulled together. And it was written down for the people, but they didn't have access in the ready way that we do today. So you have Deuteronomy 6, where Moses says to the people that the responsibility for Submitting yourselves to the word of God, nation, is that you speak about it in your families. That was the first place of where the word should be. When you sit down, when you stand up, when you're walking on the way, whatever you're doing, you're, you're repeating the things of the word of God. The family is the place where the word of God must take prominence. But more than that, he said the priests that were marked out among the people, they had the responsibility to teach the word of God. Knowing that, the kings of Israel that were coming had to write out a copy of the law for themselves and were to look at it every day. Why? Because that was the basis of their judgments. God's nation being ruled by a man who was looking to God's word to arrive at the judgments for everyday life. These are Old Testament things, but there was more than that. Deuteronomy 31 speaks of the sabbatic year, which was once every seven years. 
For one of the feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles, the people were told to go up to Jerusalem. And not just the males, but on the seventh year, everyone was to go. And when they all gathered there, Deuteronomy 31 tells us that they were to gather to hear a reading of the law. For God, it was important that every seven years, for the whole of the nation, there was the hearing of the word of God. And that then was a reminder that would trickle down through the priests and and through the family units and so on. The word of God was absolutely um, vital for the life of the nation. Reading Nehemiah 8, whenever the exiles have come back, it's at that time, Feast of Tabernacles, that they ask for Ezra to come out with the law. And the people stand as Ezra reads from the law, from a, a rostrum that's been made for him. And the people are cut to the heart at their failure. It was a collective thing, the people of God coming together. Today, the word of God is to be taught by teachers. Overseers, one of their uh, qualifications is to be teachers. James, though, says that let not many of you become teachers because we incur a stricter judgment. So what we see in the Old Testament is the, the priority that God gave to his, his law for his people. Of course, that comes across for us today. And we have the completeness of God's testimony, which reveals to us the Christ and our salvation in him and all of the glory of that. Of course, we would want to come together as God's people. And in the hearing of the word and in the teaching of it, by those who have been appointed to do so, we're engaged in that together. God is among us. Take it by faith. It sort of elevates, does it not, the importance of being together for God's word. Yes, we can read it ourselves at home, discuss it in our family units. We can talk about it other times with one another, but there is a time for the people of God to come together. And to be reminded of the things of God on a regular basis. Because the word of God, which is God-breathed, is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Peter says it's an altogether reliable thing. There is nothing else so reliable for us. Timothy was exhorted by Paul, give attention to the public reading and to exhortation and to teaching. And he said to Timothy, now you be careful as a teacher to accurately handle the word of truth. Pray for your teachers, please. This task is a heavy one. When a man has been in God's word to come and to bring something to the church, he's going to do so at a time when we believe that God's presence is among his people. Changes the whole complexion, does it not, of what we're engaged in, this act of worship when we come together as his people. I listened to a preacher by the name of Alistair Begg quite often. He said this. He said, there's all the difference in the world in preaching to a congregation that prays with expectancy than preaching to a congregation that is simply there to adjudicate. Ooh, that's a hard one. I think we're all guilty of that, aren't we? But when we see that what we're engaged in and the men are prepared in the word of God and we come with the help of God to give us the things of God, then together it should be an experience when we know the presence of God is among his people. In Ecclesia, the experience of God 
when the local church is together. Let's pray.